from HerbMentor.com. This is HerbMentor Radio. You are listening to Herb Mentor Radio and HerbMentor.com. I'm John Gallagher. My guest today is Aviva Ram. Aviva is a certified professional midwife, herbalist, and mom to four kids with her husband, Tracy. Her numerous books, including Naturally Healthy Babies and Children, are now regarded as standards for moms, midwives, herbalists, and other health professionals using herbs for women's and children's health. Aviva is also president of the American Herbalist Guild and serves on a number of scientific review boards, including the American Herbal Pharmacopoeia and recently been invited as an adjunct faculty for the Massachusetts College of Pharmacy. Currently, Aviva is pursuing a medical degree at the Yale School of Medicine. Her website is avivaram.com, which is A-V-I-V-A-R-O-M-M.com. Aviva, I'm so honored that you have carved out a, a time for us to hang out today. Oh, it's really nice, John. It's fun to have a chance to ch- chat with a fellow Irby. Yay! Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when we started talking, and I'm like, all these things that you've done, it's like, you know, feel to realize it was what a down-home person you <laughs> fun person you were yeah. to hang out with. <laughs> yep. It was definitely great uh, when it, meeting you and hanging out at the American Herbalist Guild uh, gathering in Redmond a few months yeah. ago. That was that such was a, a fun, fun conference. That was great. I I guess I didn't because I had no idea what to expect. I I I didn't have any expectations. So. Yeah, it's <laughs> funny. Sometimes I'll show up at like a conference where I'm teaching new people I've never met before, and pe- someone will have read my bio, and then they meet me. And I've had like probably half dozen times in my life. Someone will look at me and they'll go, "Wow, you're a much smaller woman than I imagined." <laughs> like they expect I'm like this giant person or something, and I'm actually this like tiny little petite thing. And it's really funny. Like, what do people think from that bio? But yeah, I, I'm pretty down home. <laughs> I, I, uh, I want to uh, encourage folks to to make it to those conferences when they're when they travel to their towns because uh, I I think I you know being a parent and businesses and everything uh, you know one of the for me it was attractive is because it was in the next town and only a few blocks from my clinic so i show up and i'm like this is great i met like it was so great because it was like at a this conference center at my uh at my, at my local mall, the Marriott. Yeah, so, so it was like you and Michael Tierra and, you know, uh, David Hoffman, David um, Hoffman wasn't there, but, um, you know, uh, Paul Bergner and Christopher Hobbs and all these folks were there. It's just like, wow, all these like herbalists I have on my bookshelf or like at my mall. In your backyard. <laughs> it's it like, was such a we... funny place because on the one hand, there was like, <laughs> if you walk out the front of the, of the hotel, there was that mall. Yeah. But then if you walked around the back, there was that, um, farmers, farmers market. market. <laughs> kind of funny. Well, this year's conference is actually the planning is underway, and it's not going to be that far from your backyard. And it's probably a conference that's going to be especially um, relevant for your your listener community. We are going to be in um, Santa Rosa, California. Oh. So we're right outside San Francisco, right in the heart of wine country. This um, fall, which is like the height of wine season, we found this hotel with a great deal for us. And so I think the dates are October 22nd to 24th. We're going to have stuff up on the AHG website pretty soon. But mm-hmm. what we're doing is really fun. We're having um, what we're calling, well, we haven't picked a title, like an exact title yet, but it's basically the Family Herb Conference. Oh. And we have four tracks going. People can either do like one whole track 
or they can mix and match however they want. But we have, um, it's basically family herbal medicine. We have a track on pediatric health. Mm -hmm. We have a track on women's, like gynecology, obstetrics, that kind of women's health stuff. Mm -hmm. We have a track on elder health and a track on men's health. And it's going to be very intimate, really nice, and kind of cover the basics for people who are just learning herbal medicine and want to do kind of like family community herbal medicine. And then also it'll, you know, get more advanced for people who have been doing that and want to add new things to their to their toolkit, if you if you will. That sounds fantastic, and that's yeah, uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be great. And also, it's the 20th anniversary so of the of the guild. So we're also, in addition to that, gonna um, invite as guests um, the founding members and past presidents, and have them kind of just do stories and talk about where herbal medicine has been in their lives, where they've been in herbal medicine, and where they're going, and where they see herbal medicine going. I, I so it should sure be really be cool conference. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so. and uh, that's AmericanHerbalistGuild.org, correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we always throw around acronyms, and you know, folks listening, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the AHG, American Herbalist org. <laughs> oh, I just throw the dot org. Actually, I think say. we're dot com, aren't we? Or dot com, or I can actually. Uh, well, you can. Well, in any case, you can. Uh, yeah, we're dot com. Okay, dot com. Okay, so in any case, uh, you can just Google American Herbalist Guild, and you'll find. Yes, it. and you'll get it. <laughs> okay, th- very good. Um, so, um, you know, you're you're uh, really seem to be making you know being a medical school strides in connecting conventional medical communities and herbal medicine, and um, you know, you're in your fourth year of medical school now, and. And uh, so what are you what are you noticing in your efforts or, or what, what are your hopes in that area and what you're noticing? Because it's really exciting when I, you know, it's you know, like, yeah, I'm going to be the I'm going to be someone who's going to connect these because you because, you know, in the future, in the future, it's got to be, you know, some yeah. more of a connection. So what are you noticing in this right now? Well, what I really have noticed mostly is um, the receptivity to what I bring has been so much larger than I actually imagined. Like mm-hmm. I get these um, at Yale, we don't get grades. We get evaluate. Well, we get grades, but they're just based on evaluations. They're not based on uh, exams. Mm-hmm. And so my evaluations have consistently been like, this is the best med student we've ever had. She clearly brings so much experience and compassion mm-hmm. as a midwife, and her work as an herbalist has been so valuable to the team when patients are taking supplements and we don't know what they are. And What's been really amazing to me is that I think 20 years ago, I wouldn't have heard that if I went to med school. I would have kind of been seen as a whack job or something like that. (laughs) And also, I wouldn't have been able to probably survive and stay intact in that environment either. And maybe a little bit of it's being at Yale because Yale's kind of a progressive med school. But I think that there's been a shift, maybe a little like maybe the right has come a little toward the middle and maybe those of us on the left have just gotten a little bit older. I don't know, but there's like more of a meeting of the minds and a lot of people in medicine are much more receptive to kind of a mind body approach. If you want to label it as that or uh, a patient centered approach or just people who listen to patients and like talking with people. And then also a recognition that, like conventional medicine doesn't have all the answers and that what those of us kind of in this world outside of medicine have to offer is actually 
very important, both in terms of patient care and the actual interaction with patients, that those of us who are on the outside of it, who who have clients and you know have done the herbal work or the midwifery work know is that what people really need is to be heard you know that you can't hear someone in seven minutes that mm-hmm. sometimes what's going on at home is just as important to what's causing their health or their disruption in their health as what bug they might have and so it's been really amazing to have that receptivity i thought that i would be a little bit more undercover than I've actually had to be. In <laughs> kind of in a school. trench coat in the corner with your echinacea tincture. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really cool. Like we had this one patient who came in on internal medicine who um, had uh, problems with clotting, mm-hmm. and she decided not to take her conventional medicine, and she ended up with really serious medical problems because someone on the Internet said you could take vitamin E, which actually isn't enough in her situation and so the team was like Aviva Aviva can you go talk to her because they knew I'd be able to like like respect where she's at and at the same time you know help her to understand why she needed the medicine right and on the other hand there have been times where I'll look at my team and go you know this is probably completely reasonable for this patient to try you know this antidepressant formula from her naturopath mm-hmm before starting on an antidepressant. And so it's been really interesting to be able to do that and kind of be that bridge. And, and And so, you know, speaking of which, like, you know, being, being a bridge, um, yeah, the thing that got me really starting to use herbs in my life is, well, you know, for me in my life, like I don't seem to not really do much uh, until I have a, a need or a practical application, you know? And so I had, when we had my son, when we had our son, it was, Hey, he doesn't come with an instruction manual, you know. I'm gonna have to like figure out how to fix him if he. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, you say in one of your books, "Modern medicine," uh, more or less paraphrasing, you know, give, gives us the feeling that we are not active participants in our own health. Mm-hmm. And I felt that much because uh, I, I didn't really trust what was out there, but at the same time, I didn't really know. <laughs> you know where i should start i was uh, books and i get books and i wouldn't feel confident and then i look for a mentor or classes and that can be kind of scary I, I can pick up your books from now and go oh is you know but at the time for me um like i almost like like needing someone to show me a few tips I, do you find this a common story among people you work with or your past patients and yeah i mean it's like plunging into deep water or something mm-hmm. and i think it's one thing it's really hard, you know, and I think pediatrics is getting a little more open-minded, but I know when I had my first kids, and my oldest is turning 24 this year, mm-hmm. so it's been a while, I've watched a real evolution in pediatrics, but, um, you know, we were fortunate to have, you know, knock on wood, relatively healthy kids. We didn't go to the pediatrician. I mean, of four kids, we've probably been to the pediatrician's office, you know, less than I can count on one hand. Wow. Um, but... You know, I can remember people coming to my office and I can remember pediatricians saying things like, you know, if you don't treat this earache with antibiotics, your kid is going to go deaf. I mean, now mm-hmm. the American Academy of Pediatrics and the CDC says you're not even supposed to treat every ear infection with an antibiotic. But mm-hmm. when it's yourself, look, if you had a fever or you had a cold or you had an earache, you kind of can feel as an adult, what's going on, and you're sort of only taking responsibility for yourself. Mm -hmm. But when it's your kid, first of all, 
that's a huge responsibility to be a parent. And it's really scary. You don't want something bad to happen to your kid. Mm-hmm. And you love this person. And then you've got this pediatrician telling you, you know, in one way or another, if you don't do this, your kid is going to die. And so you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Of like, do I give this medication what seems like it could actually be harmful? Or do I trust these herbs, which I don't know if they're really going to work. And that's a really hard place to be. So a lot of what I've done as an herbalist with um, my, my clients, when they've faced situations where their kid was sick, I mean, first of all, if their kid is sick with a really serious illness, then they should go to the pediatrician. And so sometimes it's just been being a resource to say, okay, you know, from my reading, from what I've done, from being a parent, from being a midwife, this is within the range of what's considered normal for this illness. If you're not comfortable with it, then you should go to the pediatrician. Making sure that parents have good resources on hand, like a book that they can look up, um, you know, common pediatric symptoms or, um, you know, how to know whether something is normal. Encouraging them to have a pediatrician, if at all possible, who's very alternative medicine friendly that they could call up and say, you know, little Kiva has a fever of 102 and no stiff neck and and the pediatrician can say, you know, you can watch this for a while. And then also helping parents to kind of set a framework for themselves of their comfort zone. You Mm -hmm. know, they're comfortable with a fever of 102, but they're not comfortable with a fever of 103 or 104 get help. You know, if they are seeing that their kid is not getting better within a certain amount of hours, and that may be two hours, four hours, or 24 hours, whatever their comfort zone is, assuming that they're pretty reasonable parents, um, working with them on that, you know, and saying, all right, well, call me in two hours if the fever hasn't broken and you're still not comfortable. Let's reevaluate and make another plan. So it's just trying to be that kind of sounding board but I think it is really hard when you're on your own and sort of figuring it out um, on your own kid. I was fortunate enough to have been doing herbal medicine for a number of years um, before I had kids. And I think back in the day when I started out, the alternatives in the pediatric world were so conservative that it just seemed sort of better to plunge in and, and give it a try. Exactly. And, and people will find, too, that... Uh... You know, I, I luckily have a similar story to yours with my kids that they've been healthy overall. But um, for those things that have come up, the bumps, bruises, the, the spiking 104 fevers in the middle of the night, the, uh, the um, <clears throat> just various things I've been able to treat them with. And it's so, always the middle of the night, right? Yeah, it's always the middle of the night. It's all, it is. It still is. You <laughs> like know? It's, at night. it's know. only <laughs> been taking the emergency room for uh, broken wrists and, and, and holes in the head and <laughs> fall, oh. fall, falling on a bench on the ferry on a, on, a, on a rocking boat when my son rather run around in the middle of a storm on a ferry rather than sit down like yeah. you told him to. <laughs> well, this is the other thing that I've really discovered being in the medical world you know, when my kids were little and growing up, we never had to navigate the emergency room. We were just really fortunate. We mm-hmm. either dealt with, you know, the dog bite or the, the infection or whatever at home, or they just didn't have those mm-hmm. incidents. So mm-hmm. we were lucky. But what's really amazing to me is how much effort and work it takes if you have a sick child who does need the medical system to get a medical appointment to 
sit in the emergency department for four hours mm-hmm. waiting. And we actually had an incident recently. It was one of the first times we actually had to navigate the emergency department. My um, 16-year-old was coming home from school one day, um, and she's had some jaw tension before, but mm-hmm. she was at the school bus. Um, we just sent our kids to school this year for the first time. We've always homeschooled. Mm-hmm. She's in an arts program. It was like 4.30 in the afternoon, and it was you know, freezing cold here in Connecticut. It was like, you know, this we had this sub-zero kind of week. Right. And she got home, and her jaw was locked. Oh, my goodness. So I called a local physical therapist, but it was like 6.30 in the evening already. They couldn't see her. And so I had to take her to the emergency department. But being a Yale med student, all I had to do was call on the phone to the emergency department mm-hmm. and say, who's on call tonight, and it was Dr. So-and-so who I worked with last year, and I said, Dr. So-and-so, this is what's going on. He's like, oh, bring her right in, (laughs) you know, and so we didn't have to wait, Uh and so, you know, for me, I realized that is such a privilege because it is, you know, when I've worked in the emergency department, it's a lot. It's a big decision for a parent to take a sick kid out into the cold January evening when they're already not feeling well to know that you're going to be in this vulnerable environment where you don't really know the language, you don't really know the ropes, and you've got a sick kid and now you've got someone telling you you have to do this and you're now trying to figure out, well, do I really have to do this or not, you know? Mm-hmm. I had a, a, a family that came into the emergency department last year when I was on pediatric rotation and it was a family for a variety of reasons had chosen not to vaccinate mm-hmm. their two youngest children who were twin babies um, because the kids had a lot of really serious congenital medical problems. The family was afraid to kind of add to the vaccination load. Mm-hmm. And fortunately for this woman, she got me in the mm-hmm. emergency department because I was able to really understand what was going on and sort through the situation. But as soon as I told the team, you know, the residents and the doctors, the situation, they launched off like, are they crazy? How could she not vaccinate? This kid probably has a fever for some from some vaccine-preventable illness. And I went over the symptoms, and I said, it doesn't look like any of those illnesses. And I was like, you guys, if you talk to this woman like this, you're going to totally alienate her. And the only thing that's going to happen is she's not going to tell you what's really going on, and she's not going to come back next time her kid is sick, you know? Right. So it's really interesting to, you know, be in that world and try to navigate not just my own experience but for some of these patients who don't want to really be there nobody wants to be there no exactly so it's interesting and there does there do need to be people who are willing to walk in and kind of be that bridge it's i really see it helps the patients a lot wow that's but that's not why you had me on your show. Oh, you well, yeah, it is. It was, a, it was a couple of my questions that you went by <laughs> there, so thank you. So um, I, what, I'm gonna, what I want to get to now is because I was like, oh, I could, I could ask all this question about this or this. And I yeah. said, well, you know, what do people want to know? So I, I went on, and as I often do on, on this show, on herdmentor.com, as I go on the forum and I say, what, what do you want to know? And we were talking about kids mm-hmm. and health. And, uh, and so I got a bunch of questions from members and, um, there were lots and lots and I said, okay, realistically in a, in a radio show with a sh- shorter, you know what I mean? Like, cause of some of these yeah. topics that people gave her, like we could, you know, do a whole day on, you know, <laughs> you know, which are a little harder to understand, uh, you know, uh, to go real, real, real in depth. But I got, to, um, I have some great questions here and, and, um, 
helps help some folks out since they have your ear. Um, so uh, Helena was wondering here, uh, the first question is, uh, what herbs are dangerous for children and not adults? So I guess she's wondering, hey, I'm making some remedies for myself, and what can I give to the kid? Or, or maybe it's the dosage difference, or maybe it's the, uh, the way they're making the remedy. So what, what, what do you... Right, um, right. Okay, so let's take that from the... Let's kind of like deconstruct that question mm-hmm. a little bit. First of all... Um, very few herbs are dangerous, and very few herbs that we're going to be using as home remedies mm-hmm. are dangerous. Um, I think that's one thing to keep in mind. And there are very few herbs that you would give, for example, one time as an acute remedy that would be accessible at a health food store or um, that you would have, you know, that you would get that would that would cause some kind of imminent danger to your child. Mm-hmm. Sometimes some of the herbs that are used in the naturopathic world are a little bit more toxic, so things like gelsemium yeah. or um, belladonna. But those would not be things that you would just sort of find in your average home remedy herbal book or right. in your health food store shelves. So kind of like the concept of herbs as dangerous, you'd have to really be fishing for herbs that were dangerous. And then let's also say what are we talking about when we say kids. So I pretty much consider anyone in their kind of like 12 and over in terms of dosage range, unless they're very, very small or have a medical problem, you could kind of consider those kids more in an adult range of what their systems can tolerate. I would say there's one exception to that, and that's herbs with hormonal activity. Unless you have a kid with a hormonal problem, you know, like a... um, some kind of an endocrine dis- disorder, um, you would you would never really be giving kids hormonal herbs, and it's better to avoid them because their endocrine system is still developing. You know, mm-hmm. boys are coming into puberty at that time, girls are coming into puberty at that time, so there's a lot of delicate balance going on. So herbs that have a really strong hormonal activity, like Vitex or hops mm-hmm. or uh, essential oils, um, which tend to have some estrogenic activity, I would avoid those. Would, would raspberry little, leaf fall in that? What's that? Would raspberry leaf fall in that? No, raspberry okay. leaf is not hormonally mm-hmm. active. It's really much more of a stringent tonic and a nutritive herb than okay. having much hormonal activity okay. at all. Okay. Yeah, so I wouldn't consider. I think any of you're fine with any of the nutritive tonics like nettles and... Um, um, uh, raspberry leaf, alfalfa, all those are really fine. Um, with little kids, you have to kind of consider that their metabolism is different than an adult mm-hmm. and that their their whole system is still developing, so their nervous system, their bone system, their hormonal system is kind of latent and dormant. Um, so you wouldn't want to use herbs, for example, that would trigger their hormonal system. So any herbs that are very hormonal, again, like hops or vitex or sage, things like that, I would stay away from. Um, anything that would be strongly disruptive to the nervous system, I would stay away from. So if you're using nervines to calm an irritable child, for example, I would use more of the gentle, common daily nervines like um, lavender and lemon balm and chamomile and stay away from the heavy hitters like mobilia or um, 
again, hops or kava kava. I would stay away from all of those. And then any herbs that have questionable toxicity, even if there's really a question of it, I wouldn't use it. So herbs like kava kava, where there's some question of hepatotoxicity, um, I wouldn't work with those with young kids unless you have a lot of experience or you're really working within a dosage range for a very, very specific reason for a very short time. So I, I hope that answers the question. Yeah. There's not herbs are fairly non-toxic for the most part, especially in reasonable doses. Oh, the other category of herbs to be careful with kids is the herbs that contain pyrolizidine alkaloids. So like coltsfoot mm. and comfrey are a couple of herbs that you would think about not using. Uh, Pedicytes is another one. Butterbur, which has become more common for upper respiratory problems. Um, you can use it, but you'd want to get products that are PA-free. P as in Paul, A as in Alan, um, paralyzing alkaloid-free, because those can be hepatotoxic, and you wouldn't see it for years and years um, after the administration, most likely. In, when I notice, at least, I don't know if, if you know, because you, when you're learning and writing books about herbs and stuff, you're trying different things and all, but I... Uh, I noticed that uh, I just seem to have a handful or a few, like uh, herbs that I that seem to work for a lot of things with them. Yeah, exactly. So. In fact, in my um, kids' book, the mm-hmm. um, which was the I think the second book I did or first book I did, I can't remember anymore. Naturally um, healthy babies and children. Yeah, yeah, naturally healthy babies and children. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little section in there that has kind of I don't have it in front of me, but um, there's do. a section that has <laughs> kind of like an herbal um, home home herbal chest. You know, what yes. would you keep in your house? And, uh, you have you know, uh, in I, the appendix uh, assembling an herbal first aid kit. and, and uh, Yeah, um, that's even something separate. So an herbal uh, first aid kit is kind of like, you know, when we'd take our kids camping when we were kids, if we were out backpacking and someone got bit by a snake or stung by a something or cut on something or had that fever in the tent in the middle of the night and, you know, you just couldn't get to a hospital in mm-hmm. two hours, what would you have? on hand in the during the transport or um for the home remedies kit you know i can't tell you how many times as an herbalist i would get a phone call you know someone in my neighborhood who Mm. knew someone whose baby i had midwifed or someone whose baby i had midwifed and you know 11 o'clock at night and you hear this kid screaming in the background because they've got this ear infection and of course the health food store is closed, everything's closed, the co-op is closed, and they don't have anything in their house. And, you know, they're coming over to my house for an ounce of garlic, mullein oil. You know, so, like, what were the things that I would keep at home or tell my clients as they had kids to keep at home that you might need Mm -hmm. to have on hand? And so, you know, some of those things, I agree. It's like a handful of things that you kind of use over and over. In fact, I was thinking about this the other day. I was driving home from somewhere thinking, you know, I'm really actually pretty simple as an herbalist. I don't use a whole lot of, like if you asked me about some new fancy herb on the market, I probably wouldn't even know about it, you know. Right. I kind of stick with a, a, a repertoire of a narrow range of herbs that I use for a lot of things. It's like a chamomile, garlic oil, a pl- plantain in the yard in the summer for anything that yeah, happens top exactly. of the week. <laughs> exactly. In fact, we moved to this house in um, Connecticut three years ago, and it's a suburban house. It's on a little over an acre because Connecticut tends to have a lot of um, sort of semi-suburban areas that used to be rural. Um, but 
we've always had comfrey in our yard and I've been, you know, had my head in this medical school hole for three and a half years and I needed some comfrey the other day. And I looked at my husband and I said, oh my gosh, this is the first time we've been together for 25 years that we haven't had comfrey in our yard. We always had tons of comfrey everywhere. And um, I'm like, shoot, we need to get some comfrey planted. And I didn't have any and I'm going, okay, what can I substitute, you know? for fresh comfrey it was kind of funny i, I and, use the patch awful. that grows outside the post office when my son had a broken a broken uh, <laughs> arm he has cast on i'd go get the mail and then i'd go by and take two stalks home and blend it up into a poultice and put it on there yeah. and it grows so prolifically like every you know couple of days it was like there was a new little leaf there or something that i could take i know <laughs> i know i need to get like right on it this spring we have a lovely kind of ornamental garden but i realized okay this is not good herbalist without comfrey identity crisis (laughs) (laughs) i have it dried i have it salve i have it tincture but i don't have any it's kind of like you're the you know whatever without borders you know be herbalist without comfrey (laughs) yeah exactly i should write an article (laughs) catchy title (laughs) um so then then you know and of course there's so many herbs and and that one can use and you know have relationships and different connections with and and then the book just you know, ailment by ailment, as well as lists in it, you know, really is comprehensive to go into that. Yeah, I would would say what's really helpful for parents is to kind of, as opposed to picking, you know, a handful of herbs that are, which you can do, kind of take a look at it as like, what are the most common things that kids in your kids' age ranges Mm -hmm. are likely to come up with? You know, have something on hand for a fussy, irritable child. So, you know, some chamomile, some lemon balm, maybe a nice passion flower tincture if they're mm. really, you know, unsettleable, or a chamomile tincture or a lemon balm tincture, which may be a little stronger than tea. Um, have something like um, a calm child formula or a children's mm. compound formula. Um, and uh, I don't have any proprietary relationship with any companies, but two products I have just found consistent over my 20 years of you know, 25 years of parenting, our um, Calm Child, which is an incredible formula that um, Michael Tierra put together for planetary herbs. It's Hmm. just wonderful. That's a great formula. Like if you have to take a kid on an airplane and you just want to help them settle just a little bit, Hmm. it's got a combination of Chinese herbs and Western herbs. And then the other is um, Children's Compound, which is an herb farm formula. It's very simple. It's like lemon balm, chamomile, I think it's got some fennel in it and something mm. else, which I'm forgetting offhand. But uh, it's a really great calmative formula. And that's one because it's got, got those nervines and also febrifuge kind of herbs you can give if, you're, you know, if your baby's fussy with a fever. Oh, or if okay. the fever, fever starts to get a little bit high and you're getting nervous and you want to bring it down a little bit. Right, right. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. That's a... Yeah. So let's see what the uh, next question here is. Uh, is uh, my oh you know I would you know before I get to this next question you something I just you know remembered is a uh, is that a, a lot of people will wonder uh, how to administer uh, alcohol based tinctures to kids because they get really like oh no I don't want to give them alcohol or something is it really right. an issue there's not much in though in alcohol and you know what do you what do you what's your opinion on that like uh, it comes up a lot yeah well fun. with little teeny kids who are breastfed mm. um, it's hard to give them you know, adequate amounts of a liquid um, unless you're giving them a bottle. And a lot of breastfeeding moms, we don't give bottles. So that doesn't, it's not a real convenient way to give herbs. So for teeny weeny new, like not newborns, because if they were sick, you should take them to a, a pediatrician. But let's say three months and over, um, you can 
mom can drink if the if the herbs have a lot of volatile oils in them like lemon balm and chamomile mom can drink a lot of tea herself and breastfeeding baby might get a little bit um, but the amount of alcohol in a tincture is really really small and you can always dilute it you don't really you know there's this kind of myth that if you drop the alcohol into hot water the alcohol the tincture will evaporate the alcohol will evaporate and it really doesn't you, you're still getting it it's still right in the water for the most part okay. but it's such a negligible amount and even a lot of um over-the-counter pharmaceutical remedies have you know cough syrups that have some alcohol in them too although we're not supposed to give those to kids anymore either um so you know i think the amount is pretty negligible i think that if a kid is mildly ill then relying on a glycerin tincture is fine and glycerite glycerin is an alcohol but it's not an alcohol in the conventional sense that we think of alcohol, take it, get drunk kind of alcohol. Mm-hmm. So you can give that. But for a pretty sick kid, um, I just think the alcohol tinctures are a little bit more effective, and they're also concentrated, so you can give a, a very small amount and get a kind of big bang for your buck. Okay. So what I usually tell moms is if they're breastfeeding, just take the alcohol dropper and kind of slip it in right next to the nipple in the baby's mouth and slowly drop a few drops in the back. Maybe oh. you'll grimace a little, but they'll suck more milk to get the taste away, and that's a good way to administer oh, them. You can, great. For little kids, you can put the, um, you know, like toddlers or, or older babies, you can put tea in a sippy cup, and they can drink it that way. Um, kids under two, you're not supposed to give honey because of infant botulism, which can really happen. Um I'm not really big on giving kids juice. In fact, I don't keep juice in the house for kids. I really encourage parents not to give kids juice. I think juice and even like soy milk and rice milk, any of those sweetened beverages really increase the likelihood of colds and ear infections. They just, they really deplete, they just mess with kids' immune system. They're still sugar-loaded beverages and kids end up drinking them instead of getting good nutrition. And so, you get the double whammy of sugar and you get the, um, you know, decreased consumption of good quality food. Um, but when kids are sick and febrile, you know, it's really important to keep them well hydrated because dehydration is really what's going to make kids land in the hospital, not the infection most of the time. And so keeping them well hydrated. So if you need to give like half juice, half tea, that's another good way to get kids to take it down. And especially if the juice is a treat, you know, it's not something they're getting every day. They'll drink that. Um, Breastfeeding babies, it's important just to keep them on the breast as much as possible. And then older kids, I think it's fine to give them tinctures. Uh, I don't think tablets are too easy for kids to swallow, um, but tinctures are a great way. And you can give them straight with a little water, or give them in a little bit of juice. You, you can also you can also adjust uh, you can also uh, do the drinking game uh, thing where it's like uh, you know what you learned in college you can apply to your kids. Okay, okay, when you're watching this movie, every time somebody says Harry in Harry Potter, you know you take a sip of this tea. Exactly, <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's better to give kids like a couple of tablespoons every 15 minutes than try to expect them to, you know, drink a lot. And it's tricky, you know. I think that being uh, an herbal kind of parent also assumes that you're at home. You know, mm-hmm. and you're there sitting next to your kid when right. they're sick and you're giving them sips of tea. And it's a lot harder when people work full time, you know, to take that time off. I think doing herbal medicine sort of assumes a little bit of a certain lifestyle that allows you to be there and watch and monitor and nourish and nurture mm-hmm. 
and change the environment as you know as the kid needs it and to give that sip of tea or that broth or whatever i, I so. was a little unsure the other day i have a patient who's pregnant and and, and uh, she didn't want to drink tea before because she has this insomnia situation and before she mm. went to bed because you want to wake up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom so yeah. <laughs> uh, then i was going to mention you know tinctures but you know because that herbal practicing herbalism in my practice is not like what I usually do and I keep on you know I, I sometimes I give little tips and little home remedy advice but mm-hmm. I I was like well I don't you know I almost said like it, take a tincture of this but I was like is that is it you know I, I didn't know the alcohol with you know people's fears and, and fetal alcohol you know syndrome and right is, is that just right. not well, not an issue with a few it's really it's really not an okay issue. just I think that um, <laughs> if you think about a typical one ounce tincture right mm-hmm. and let's say it's um let's say it's a 60% alcohol tincture. So it's 60% water. I'm sorry, 60% alcohol, 40% water Mm -hmm. in that one ounce, right? Mm -hmm. One ounce is about um, 30 milliliters. Mm -hmm. And you figure one dropper is going to have about um, 40 drops max, right? Mm -hmm. And so the amount of alcohol, let's say you have 40 drops and... Um, 60% of that is alcohol, I mean, you're getting a fraction, a minimum, you know, kind of like an infinitesimal fraction of Mm -hmm. an ounce. And so even if you took two droppers Mm -hmm. before bed, Mm -hmm. that you're not going to, you're not going to take a complete ounce of alcohol even over the course of two weeks. So it's a really small, small, small amount. Good to know. Um, Thank you for I don't consider it a concern at all. Um, The only issue would be if someone has a problem with past alcohol abuse and they can't tolerate the alcohol and then they can take a glycerin or a tea but definitely pregnant women tea before bed you will be up three times peeing and <laughs> that is not good for insomnia <laughs> I, like i even spell that out in my book good idea um yeah so uh um, kelly uh, has uh, grandchildren that seem to be sick all the time and and what mm. would be a, a safe herb to give them to boost their immune systems um would echinacea be best or astragalus, uh, which my husband has uh, much more luck with? Uh, she just wants any suggestion to help with their immune system. Right. Well, you know, a couple of things. I would certainly say if Kelly came to me in my practice, I would want to know, you know, how sick and what kind of illnesses. There are some rare, but they do happen, um, immunologic inherited disorders. So if her kids are getting, you know, serious infections, Frequently, I would want to make sure that they've been evaluated. Also, what's really astonishing is um, what is considered normal for kids. So 8 to 10 colds a year is considered normal for the average American kid. I mean, I would be going bonkers if my kid was sick that often. But with kids in daycare and um, elementary school Mm. and kindergarten, it's actually really common for kids to get sick that often. So they're getting a lot of exposure. And in that case, there are some things that can be done to boost their immune system. The way I look at it is two things. What can you do to remove things in their diet or lifestyle that are aggravating their immune system? And then what things what things can you add that would help? So as I mentioned, juice, any sugary beverages, juice, soy milk, rice milk, soda, any like milk, regular milk, all those things should not be a regular part of kids' diets because kids drinking those beverages several times a day, even a couple of cups a day, they're going to get sick more often. They're going to have more runny noses, more sore throats, more susceptibility to colds, and more earaches and ear infections. So out with those things 
kids should be brought up drinking water, you know, maybe a little bit of organic milk if they're, you know, as they're growing, if they're craving it, Mm -hmm. um, good dairy in their food, good organic dairy in their food or yogurt to make sure they're getting calcium, Mm -hmm. but not sweet beverages. And then um, there are some things. So echinacea is definitely an immunostimulating, enhancing herb, and it can be given. Um, You can give echinacea glycerin uh, uh, tincture on a regular basis, and um, especially for kids like in cold season, you know, if it's getting to be fall and you have a kid that gets cold a lot, you can give them um, some echinacea on a daily basis. The jury's out on vitamin C. I think a lot of the studies have been contradictory on whether vitamin C is beneficial or not, Mm -hmm. but certainly echinacea has been shown, even in the studies that come out that are negative about echinacea, saying echinacea doesn't, you know, cure the common cold. Well, herbalists really know that already. But what the studies do show is echinacea reduces the incidence of recurrence of things like upper respiratory infections. So if you have a kid that's getting those a lot, it's a really good thing to think about. And usually I think about anywhere from two to five drops per pound of the child's body weight. So if a child weighs um, 50 pounds, then 10 drops a day would be, or 10 drops, I'm sorry, two or three times a day would be a reasonable prophylactic dose. I think most people find echinacea doesn't work when they're not giving large enough doses of it. Another thing that I always did with my kids when they were little was I would make this immune-boosting miso soup, and we would just eat it once or twice a week during, you know, fall and winter, maybe into early spring, and um, that would be like just making a pot of miso vegetable soup, you know, the Mm -hmm. typical way you can find a recipe online or in a good macrobiotic cookbook. Oh, we talk about it on our site all the time too. I'm sure there's information on there. Yeah. And in my book, there's a recipe too. And then to that, uh, I add astragalus. As Kelly mentioned, astragalus is a great herb. So just throw in a couple of astragalus sticks, a little bit of, you know, maybe a teaspoon or so of little red ginseng pieces, a couple of sticks of codonopsis, and then miso, and then some ginger, pieces of fresh ginger, and give that. That's a great immune tonic. It, it, it tastes a little more bitter than miso soup does. So, you know, just kind of work with the amount of herbs you add to the amount of water to get the flavor that's going to be palatable for your kids. And then um, another thing that I always did with my kids when they were little is if they seemed like they were coming on to a cold or if they were around a lot of kids that were sick, I would give. I would make. Um, we just called it garlic lemon honey tea, mm-hmm. or sometimes my kids would call it garlic lemonade. And you take uh, <laughs> like a quart mason jar and just chop. Don't press because if you press the garlic, it'll be too strong. But just chop a couple of cloves of garlic, not the bulb, just the little cloves. Maybe two to four of those for a mason jar, um, and then cover that with boiling water. Like fill the whole jar with boiling water. And let that steep for maybe 15, 20 minutes, up to a half hour. And then just kind of add enough lemon and honey to make it taste good. And then give one or two cups of that max over the course of a day or two. Um, Even a half a cup a couple of times a day for littler kids. And, you know, make it taste good. They'll drink it. And uh, you just leave it out, uh, you know, at room temperature and it'll get cooler throughout the day and they'll still drink it. And that tastes really nice. And that's a great book for adults, too. Oh great! Well, that's this yeah. is this is great stuff. This is this is uh, something we can we all we all do, and and uh, that's a good foundation too. You know, I mean that miso and soup idea and everything and things people don't think of that related yeah, to a lot of other things. Exactly, and if yeah. kids are little and they come up drinking that stuff, they're used to it. So 
Yeah, I mean, for, I could say that's that's true for I mean for my own kids too. I mean, for them, they'll they'll do that as as a foundation, and and their tastes seem to change from time to time. Like all of a sudden they. You know, well, a lot of it depends on what the what the what the older sibling is doing or not doing. So one day, it's it, my my youngest is drinking her daily infusions just fine, but when my oldest decides, well, I, I you know I, I don't want this anymore, then all of a sudden, <laughs> I know. I don't want it anymore. There's all, it's it's really mostly true. psychology, isn't it? <laughs> yep. Yep. So um, Barb uh, has um, has grandchildren as well that that seem to have uh, eczema problems. So. Mm. Um, I, I, and I'm kind of like a prioritize. And there's so many questions, mostly by the by the number of people who ask them. So I, I noticed a few people asking about eczema. And, uh, also something called goose flesh, which is very tiny bumps on the upper yeah. arm. Yeah. So what do you it's know about with that? <clears throat> well, eczema is kind of like a big kettle of fish to start getting into because we could spend okay. two radio shows getting into it. But let's say this. Just generally. <laughs> um, yeah, because there are so many reasons that it can happen. Um, kids who have atopic conditions like eczema, allergies, asthma, a lot of times there are familial, like inherited reasons that they have it, um, complex immunologic reasons. Um, I'm not anti-vaccination, but I can tell you I've seen a lot of families where the kids develop, you know, eczema after they got their first or second series of vaccinations. So I think there's a lot of complex immunologic stuff going on. There are simple things that people can look at, like um, things that might aggravate or irritate um, a sensitive immune system. So detergents, um, food sensitivities like wheat or dairy or peanuts, things that are common, typical allergens or aggravators that sometimes eliminating from the diet or eliminating exposure can help relieve that. But um, there isn't really a simple answer for eczema. I wish there was. I wish I could say to you, oh, you know, take zinc, take echinacea, and it'll go away. But it's not like that, and it's not that simple. Um, so what I would say is, you know, find a really good naturopath or um, a combination of a naturopath and a good conventional allergist or rheumatologist who can work with the family, because often it's not just one kid in the family that has it either. Mm -hmm. And look at what are some of the common triggers, eliminate those, and then learn some of the common things that can be used to, um, it's actually in that, in that situation, not always boosting the immune system, sometimes quieting the immune system, because sometimes it's like an overly aggravated immune system. So sometimes herbs like adaptogens, like ashwagandha, mm -hmm. can actually be really helpful for those kids to help quiet and overreactive immune system okay okay so they're looking always looking holistically and um and looking you know it seems to come back to nourishing and, and, and immune system nourishment um with a lot of these things yeah i mean it's interesting i was just talking with one of my advisors down at yale and he's a specialist in maternal fetal medicine and he was telling me that he's part of a research study looking at some of the causes of um, asthma in young children and one of and this is very preliminary research so I'm not saying that this is a causative thing but one of the things that and and this is like a very conservative conventional medical practitioner there's nothing alternative about what they're looking at but he was saying that one of their early findings may be that pregnant women who take antibiotics mm. their babies may be more likely to develop asthma and of course, eczema is part of that triad of allergies, eczema, asthma. Right. So right, right. 
who knows like what are the insults that are causing these things but they're happening at a time that is kind of foundational and fundamental and i think that's why they're not as easy or simple to treat as something like an earache or an acute thing like a common cold you know right right oh, okay they're deeper yeah and all right um okay so the next question um someone else says, on becoming pregnant, what herbal necessity should I get busy making? What are other things new moms shouldn't be without? Well, I, mm. like, what's a good herbal uh, well, <laughs> vitamin protocol? <laughs> <laughs> so while you're pregnant, I mean, I think unless you have other extenuating health considerations, really while you're pregnant, the most important thing to do is eat well, get adequate rest, mm. and, you know, take care of your psychological space, you know, work on your issues, work on your issues about being a mom, about... Um, you know, your own space as a woman and, and making room for being a mom in your life. Pregnancy is a pretty um, pretty evolved process. It knows how to take care of itself. A woman's body knows how to be pregnant. And there's really nothing a pregnant woman needs to take or do beyond really excellent nutrition, a moderate amount of exercise, and everything that it takes to just be in a good headspace as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um some women like to take raspberry leaf tea as a tonic for mm. the uterus. There's nothing wrong with that. There hasn't been any harm shown from doing that. And there have been a couple of studies that have shown that maybe it actually reduces the need for intervention during labor. So drinking raspberry tea one or two cups a day is completely reasonable and completely fine. I tend to not be a big advocate of first trimester anything mm. uh, just because the baby's so formative during that time. So usually waiting till the second trimester is completely fine before taking anything. If a woman is having problems with threatened miscarriage, there are things that herbalists can do to help um, sometimes in some situations reduce that tendency. Mm. And uh, as the woman gets toward late pregnancy, there's a kind of tendency to want to take herbs that are going to make labor easier, but those aren't necessarily safe. So I really recommend pregnant women not take blue cohosh or any of the other late pregnancy tonics. Just let your body do what it's going to do and it's going to know how to do it. And if you've kind of taken care of your issues, more your inner issues and your fears, um, that's mm-hmm. the best thing you can do. And have a really great support person who can help you get through labor if you're wanting to have a more natural birth. That's what it really takes is being prepared for that kind of psychologically, emotionally, and have kind of um, an intention to do that. And then someone with you, another woman with you, whether that's a midwife or a doula, who can help you with that intention and help, you know, as long as everything's normal, help you stay the course of that. Our, our midwife, as, our midwife mm-hmm. had us uh, even before I knew what herbal infusions were. Uh, before I even took an herbal course, had Kimberly taking the you know, four hours steeped, one ounce, and like the herbal nourishing infusions of uh, like nettle, oat straw, red raspberry, and alfalfa. It was alfalfa, I think it was. Alfalfa. Yeah, exactly, and that's definitely like one of the formulas in my okay. book. I okay. guess what I want to really convey is that pregnancy is a natural process and there's nothing that you have to do to make it happen naturally but if you think about herbs as foods Mm -hmm. you know and definitely like we meant like i mentioned earlier those nutritive herbs like alfalfa and raspberry and nettles those are excellent and those certainly can be taken but think of them more as like a nutritional supplement than something to 
sort of like you have to take to make the pregnancy go okay. But right. definitely um, nettles is one of my favorite nutritional supplements during pregnancy. I kind of think about it as like a daily dose of greens or something like mm-hmm. that. You know, mm-hmm. you want to eat greens when you're pregnant and nettles is sort of like greens infusion. And um, definitely a lot of times when I was pregnant, people would say, what is that green stuff in your jar of tea, Aviva? And it would always be some really dark nettles infusion. You know, I'd take a big old handful, throw it in a mason jar, steep it overnight, and drink it throughout the next day. That's what raised my kids in pregnancy and mm-hmm. breastfeeding all those years. It was lots and lots of nettles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so great, I know. It's um, really nutritive. The, um, actually, this might even be related to a person as a... Um, her best friend, teen daughter, is having her first baby in February. Yeah. Congratulations. And uh, um, planning on breastfeeding. And great. And um, information on increasing, maintaining. Uh, wait. <laughs> I can help her with information. I can help her with info on how to decrease, maintain, and uh, decrease her milk supply. But I've forgotten mm-hmm. what to recommend for sore or cracked nipples and what would be safe for the baby. So. Uh, oh, Yeah. So for sore cracked nipples, I mean, most of the common reasons that it happens are, A, tender nipples that are learning to handle mm-hmm. the whatever it is, 600 pounds per square inch pressure that a mm-hmm. breastfeeding baby puts on them. Um, B, it can be improper positioning of the baby's mouth on the nipple. Or C, it's very commonly infection with thrush, which is just candida or yeast. So um, just to make sure that um, the mom is positioning, so like just the crack nipples from learning, like the, the nipples will just toughen up over the course of the first couple of weeks, and so they'll get accustomed to the, the um, sensation and the pressure and they'll heal. Uh, but if there's imposition, improper positioning, then working with someone, you know, either the midwife or a breastfeeding consultant can help get the baby in the right place because if the baby's sucking then no matter what you put on those nipples if the baby's sucking in the wrong place it's still going to cause cracking and bleeding so that has to be attended to now if it's just cracking from you know the new baby sucking on a breast and the breast is tender then you can just use a simple any kind of common simple salve i like to use a salve that has calendula and St. John's wort in it those are very healing Mm -hmm. and um, just a simple beeswax uh, you know um, and olive oil base. And I have instructions in my book. Lots of herb books have instructions for how to make a salve, or you can just buy one in the health food store. But calendula and um, St. John's wort are really excellent for sensitive nipple tissue. And what you usually do is just dry the nipple off, you know, pat it dry after the baby has, has suckled, and then put the salve on. And usually it's absorbed by the next breastfeeding, and there's nothing harmful in that that the baby couldn't ingest. If there is thrush, then it gets a little bit trickier because thrush. Yeah, (laughs) bringing back nightmares. Yeah, I know. (laughs) And that wasn't even the um, one with the thrush. Yeah, (laughs) you want to make sure that you wash the bras really well because Mm. they'll harbor the thrush. So wash them in hot, hot water, and then either dry them in the sun or dry them in a hot temperature. I've actually even known women to microwave their bras if they want to really kill the yeast. Interesting. Um, for the woman to go braless as much as possible and get as much sunlight exposure to the breast and the nipple to heal that tissue and to kill the thrush, that's really important. And don't wear like those nipple pads that women put in the bra because those actually just kind of absorb the milk and the thrush, the yeast just kind of thrives in that environment. 
So as much like air and light exposure as possible throughout the course of the day, going braless if possible. And then um, there are a couple of topical things you can do, but usually I'll recommend a dilute tincture of um, golden seal, or you could use Oregon grape, but I think golden seal works a little bit better in this case, uh-huh. and calendula mm-hmm. and um, black walnut. And the thing that's really important is that the golden seal and the black walnut will stain. They will stain anything that you get them on. So they will stain the bra, they will stain the T-shirt, they will stain the nipple a little bit, um, but it's not permanent. But that is a really great antimicrobial topical oh, rinse. And so, you know, you have the woman just put the uh, take the tincture and then dilute it in a couple of tablespoons of water and then just apply it either in the shower or leaning over the sink and then pat dry with a washcloth that you don't mind. It's going to get a little bit stained. And you have to do that after the baby nurses. It'll be too bitter if you put it on, the baby won't really suckle that um, on that nipple because that golden seal, if anyone's ever tried golden seal, I mean, it's just hor- I think it's horrible tasting. Mm-hmm. And um, then you also need to treat the baby's mouth because that's where the thrush is coming from most likely. Right. And the best way that I've found to do that um, that's safe for the baby um, is to take unsweetened live active culture yogurt and swab that around in the baby's mouth. You can either use a finger the mom's finger, but once you put your finger in the baby's mouth, don't put the same finger back in the yogurt. So the best way to do it is just to take out a little bit of yogurt, put it in a cup, and then apply that and then discard whatever's left in the cup and do that fresh each time and do that two or three times a day. The baby might swallow a little bit of the yogurt. That's actually totally fine, and it'll be good for the baby's flora, intestinal flora, um, to help fight that thrush in the system also. Excellent. And that's what I do. Oh, yeah, and I can attest to the calendula tincture, too, because when nothing else helped Kimberly with when Rowan's, uh, uh, when Rowan had that when he was a baby, um, the calendula tincture was the only, after all, even after all the nasty gentian blue stuff. Yeah, right? Remember that? <laughs> it was, that wasn't yeah. even working. <laughs> yeah, talk about staining, too. Oh, gosh, it was horrible. Um, yeah. So uh, another question is, um, and and I, it's a huge hobby. I don't really want to, you know, obviously I want to get into, the, like, um, um vaccinations and stuff because uh, it's a huge thing but this this um uh um the time that we have but uh the, one person this one person is is traveling um lauren is traveling in england um uh, for mm-hmm. a month and she's she um is in a quandary about vaccine hasn't vaccinated and just want to know is she is it an issue so just about going to in- you know england and is there anything she should get the baby's less than a year old i should um uh mention so if you were had a one if you had a 10, 8, 10-month-old 10 baby, let's say, and you were going to England, what would yeah. you do? So the vaccinations issue, and this is what I've always told parents, and this is what I talk about in my vaccinations book, it's very circumstantial. Mm-hmm. And travel is definitely one of those circumstances that changes the equation mm-hmm. on vaccination. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, right now, with the sort of backlash on autism and the MMR vaccine, there have been there's been a significant decrease in um, England, particularly, of parents vaccinating with the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, mm-hmm. and so there has been a significant increase in the rates of MMR, in of, of I'm sorry of measles, in England. Uh, so this is kind of a big public health topic of conversation going on. Wow. And, um, 
what I don't know is what the outcomes have been in those kids who have gotten measles, you know, how serious, how many fatalities and all. But definitely one thing you said, Rachel, you said was the mom's name? Um, one thing she would definitely, I'm sorry, Lauren? what was it? Yeah. Lauren. Lauren. Um, one of the things Lauren would definitely want to consider is that measles in very young children, measles in general can be a very serious illness, but measles in very, very young children can be extremely serious. And so, you know, whether or not she chooses to vaccinate, you know, I can't tell her what to do, obviously, or help her make that decision, but she would definitely want to look at something like a CDC website or contact a public health agency in England and see, you know, are, is it seasonal? When are the outbreaks? Measles tends to be a seasonal illness. Um, and what are the consequences if her child does contract measles while she's traveling internationally? You know, what resource would, if her child did get sick, what resources would there be for her medically if she needed them? And what would be the issues of coming back into the country with a child with measles? So something interesting to consider. Um, the chances of contracting measles are certainly relatively small, but it's not impossible. There, there's a great uh, a recent episode, and you get the podcast on this. Did you hear it on This American Life? Thisamericanlife.org, I think you can get the download the podcast. I think the episode was one of the last few, like, it was something, the title of it was like, like ruining it for the rest of us or something like that. But anyway, yeah. one of the one of the sections of the stories was very in-depth, like, story about um, this person who, uh, unvaccinated uh, kid who came back from Switzerland with measles and this epidemic and the California somewhere that like, was starting to spread and having to quarantine. Anyway, the, the 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 title of it sounds worse than it was. Really a very good piece that it was. I, I'm just saying because I thought you you would enjoy listening to it. Uh, you know, and you yeah. have an iPod. There was an interesting episode of a primetime popular television show a few weeks ago, also called Private Practice. Mm -hmm. And the premise of this show is that it's an integrative medicine practice in. Shishiville, California, somewhere, you know, mm -hmm. but uh, there's a pediatrician and a, an obstetrician and a general physician and psychiatrist and all, but into the practice um, comes an unvaccinated child who's just come back from Switzerland where the family has been living and the child has measles and they really play it out. I mean, they just make it the worst case scenario with the child developing all kinds of complications and dying. Oh. Jeez. Really, they spin it out to the worst. But the way they actually deal with some of the issues was pretty interesting from, you know, understanding, like, how are doctors thinking about this and how is the parent thinking about this? And really, everybody had a rational argument. It was unfortunate that they made it into the worst possible case scenario. scenario but exactly. It's an interesting episode to see as a healthcare provider or as a parent, you know, what is the conversation happening out there. And you can, you can stream and download that, too. Oh, cool. So yeah, yeah. It's a lot, lot, of, lot of good, and and for that for that parent as well, refer to Aviva's um, for Lauren and others with vaccine questions. Refer to yeah. the book, your vaccination book. <laughs> yeah. and, what I uh, would say to parents in general is that you know, for example, compared to when my kids were little, and the only <clears throat> polio vaccine was the live polio, and the only pertussis vaccine was the whole cell pertussis vaccinations right now are probably at their peak of safety that they've ever been historically. You know, they have record low levels of thimerosal. Um, they're much better than they've ever been. Does that mean that they don't cause some problems? No, it doesn't mean that. Um, but I think that parents are in a better position to, it's not quite as much of a rock and a hard place. I think that um, 
they're in a better position if they choose to vaccinate to have safer vaccines. If they choose to selectively vaccinate, they will likely be able to find a pediatrician who will work with them. Mm -hmm. So parents have more options, I think, in thinking through the issue now, which is good. And I think that it's not a black and white issue. It's not like, you know, if you do vaccinate, your kid's going to die or get autistic. And if you don't vaccinate, your kid's going to die or, you know, develop measles encephalitis. There's a big gray area in between that still needs to be sorted out and it's it's a very tough decision for parents yeah it is yeah but just be informed and feel good about what you do is all Um, yeah and find someone that you can be honest you know find a a care provider a mm -hmm. family doctor or a pediatrician that you can really partner with Mm -hmm. in you know in a situation where let's say you have an unvaccinated kid who does get measles or chicken pox, who does need to go to the hospital for some reason, you know, so that you have a care provider who is, who's got your back, mm-hmm. you know, so that you're not walking in and being mistreated as some lunatic parent who didn't vaccinate. Right. <laughs> exactly. I know. Um, so, uh, you know, Ta- Tanya had some various questions, but just one that we kind of didn't touch on here was so far was, um, um, her four-year-old wakes up at night saying her legs hurt, growing pain. She's tall for her age. She says massage needs to help. Mm-hmm. She's probably asking this in terms of any herbal, um, you know, something she can help her with. A four-year-old? Four-year-old, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, growing pains do happen. They happen more commonly in adolescence mm-hmm. uh, or young, like, you know, nine, ten years old. Um, they can happen in a four-year-old. I would be concerned as to why this is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that an herbal answer would satisfy me in that situation, and I don't know if she's seen a pediatrician, but I would be concerned that this child is not getting adequate uh, dietary nutrition, that there's a calcium or magnesium or vitamin D deficiency uh-huh. underlying this mm-hmm. situation. So I'd be hesitant to just give an herbal answer for that. I don't think that that w- if for my kids or in my practice, I would not turn to an herbal answer for that. I'd want to find out mm-hmm. what's going on, make sure there's you know adequate bone density and proper bone growth and nothing else. I I, I remember recently my I mean there there have been little times when I've I've heard that from my kids you know uh, but not chronically you know like they're, no they're definitely like not little, chronically and not in a four year old little that spurts like you know oh my legs are like oh okay well, we'll chalk that up to the, keep that in mind and then you yeah. know a few days later but that's, yeah, and that's a good point if it's not a caucasian child mm-hmm. but this is an african-american child mm-hmm. um that can be an early onset sign of sickle cell too mm-hmm. so i would really want to get that checked out okay that's good and nice um make sure they're getting you know adequate calcium in the diet i mean that's a child that might really benefit from drinking some milk and making sure that there's an adequate uh nutrition uh, either you know some kind of supplement going on and, and just ruling out something underlying right right well yeah. we're we're kind of nearing the end of our time here maybe we'll just take one more here there's so many yeah. that i who will i who will be the person i uh um, the lottery winner i know i know um gee uh, let's see perhaps the um um well, how about the, her, the person's nephew is slightly autistic and gets severe ear infections, and they put tubes in his ears to uh, drain the fluid, And uh, but he continues to get them. And so there are herbs that can help with, A, the slightly autistic part, and, B, the ear infections. Um, 
Uh, I also like the idea of knowing, let's see, toxic, don't ever give this. Okay, we're already going over that. So, um, but, I would say the autism one would be a topic for a whole other Exactly, yeah. It's, yeah it's, um, it's, but the ear infection know, part. Yeah. <laughs> Is the child autistic or does the child have anything in the Down spectrum mm-hmm. as well? Um, because there could be some ear, uh, ear canal placement issues that are causing some of these problems. So if, if there's if there's other, uh, not just autistic spectrum, spectrum, but any Downs-related uh, spectrum, then that, that could actually just be sort of like um, a physiologic or anatomic, I should say, uh, consideration, in which case, you know, you're going to have to do your best to really boost the immune system. As far as the um, chronic ear infections go, I think it's a lot of the things that we talked about, you know, boosting the immune system, doing some of the herbs like the echinacea, the um, garlic earache oil, if there's active inf- uh, uh, acute infection, as long as you can't do it if there are tubes currently in. Um, but a lot of the immune bo- boosting um, protocol that we've talked about would really be the most appropriate. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, diet. Diet is so important in kids' health. What is the daily diet? And is it, is it you know, kind of sugar-based? Is yeah. It, simple carbohydrate based or is this a whole foods organic very healthy diet and that's going to be important and kids with developmental problems um, really need that even more you know they really need that protection even more because they have so many insults going on in their in their life that um, I think they really need extra attention to nutrition and and I and I, and either there were some other and this is this is perfect place to finish these questions on because I there were other questions as well like one about weight loss and this and the person even knew about you know along with a healthier diet and exercise and that was the key right there you know is along with a healthier diet it's like to me and I think what you're saying here is no 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 a healthier diet a healthy diet and and right. uh, and uh, and it really in my experience um, takes a commitment on the whole family. Whether you're asking this question, it's harder when you're asking the question for somebody else because you can't, you know. But if it's about for yourself in, in your own family, it's yeah. it, it's it's like no, you know. One, I'm at the supermarket. Uh, I don't buy, I don't buy cookies anymore. I don't buy right. ice cream anymore. You know, we right. have some treats that we make, and we have a little bit. You know, it's there's so sugar in the house, but it's not like. It could be or was, you know. Yeah, I mean, kids have to live. And I think the more yeah. you make things sort of like restrictive, forbidden right, food for right. kids, the more you alienate your relationship Exactly. So they're not kids, forbidding, but the more it's... You, the more you create eating issues for your kids. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's interesting. Like, we have always homeschooled our kids until this past year. And I've always worked from home. And for the past um, seven or eight years, my husband's also worked from home. Mm-hmm. So we've been in a situation until the past year where we pretty much ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner together. Everything was, like, homemade or, you know, it's, we've been organic for 28, 30 years now. So for us, that wasn't really an issue. But now this year, our two youngest kids, who are 14 and 16, are in school. And it's really a challenge to get up, you know, give them a, a healthy breakfast at 6.30 in the morning yeah. when they're not even really hungry yet. Mm-hmm. And then you're having to give them a breakfast that's going to fortify them until noon when they mm-hmm. get their next break. And then you want to give them foods that are healthy, but all their classmates aren't going to laugh at them for. It's really hard. And to you know have healthy whole foods diet when kids are in school is 
especially challenging. And, you know, you go to the health food store. I mean, Whole Foods has done amazing things for the American health food scene. I mean, everybody knows what organic is now. But you can walk into the health food store and buy just as much junk food as you can walking into Stop and Shop or Walmart. That's right. You know, I think people think, oh, well, these are not to diss any company, but, you know, these are Newman's cookies. They're organic, so it's okay if my kid eats six of them. Well, the Newman's cookies have just as much sugar as the as the next cookie. Do you know what I mean? It yeah. may be good sugar, yeah. it may be better quality, but it's still um, it's still sugar. And those healthy Pop-Tarts are still Pop-Tarts. You know, it's not the same as eating brown rice and tofu or salmon or, you know. So it's very hard to give kids that, that diet. And it's it almost requires a certain amount of privilege to have one parent who can be there to make that food in the morning and not be rushing out the door themselves. And then at the end of the day, you know, a healthy snack and a healthy dinner, it's it's really hard. And, uh, but it, it's worth the effort. I mean, that's the thing. You know, we we spent most of our, our uh, years raising our children without being able to afford or having access to health insurance. And we always kind of felt like, the money that we invested in their health in, in terms of their diet and their lifestyle was the insurance. And it, right. it for the most part, it actually paid off, you know? And, uh, exactly. And that's, yeah. it's, and, um, <clears throat> what was I going to say? <laughs> uh, you know, when you have one of those <clears throat> brain blocks, when you, <laughs> it's that's like, okay. and I just had a really good point. I was going to say, <laughs> <laughs> but um that's 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 it that's it exactly and and um all i know is going to say uh and and so folks know that on the forum and the community forum on herb mentor is a great place to ask questions if you're especially in the traditional nutrition section if you're having um some questions about um you know uh how how how, fa- how what foods and how to prepare and different recipes and things and because that is our approach on herbmentor.com is is you know just just that is is, is nourishment so yeah and um, people you know I ch- right now just being there. in med school it's very hard for me to answer hundreds and hundreds of questions but mm-hmm. i'm always open to trying and i have my um my addresses on my website too which i know you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. um com. Mm-hmm. and if people have a pressing concern they're certainly welcome to email me i don't do consults right now um and i don't um you know, give health advice, but I'm always happy to answer a question here or there if something comes up. Great. And, and, uh, once again, that's a Viva Ram dot com there. I like that. Mm-hmm. That rhymes. You just, you, it's too much to get like, get like a Viva dot Ram. Yeah, it kind of works. doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, but def- thank you so much. De- so much, not just the information, but just amazing information. And just to mention your books, you have natural pregnancy book, um, holistic choices, naturally healthy babies and children, natural health after birth, and not even going into the subtitles. This is just <laughs> vaccinations, which yeah. is a thoughtful parents guide and uh, ADHD alternatives, uh, which is a whole nother topic. I've got a lot of questions on. So yeah. after, and I after wrote that med- one actually with my husband who um, is an educator. So oh, he, so both, he actually is a, a doctorate in education and he was a high school teacher and principal for uh, like 13 years. So we wrote that one together. He was a principal for, th- wow. He was a high school principal for three years. Yeah. 
Okay, that's amazing. Oh, I because I met him this you know like yeah. a few months ago. I'm like, all right, you know, it's just uh, you, you two are amazing. It's something oh, else. What a great couple. Um, and so we'll have after med school is uh long past you. We'll have to uh have you back when you get things uh you know like life recalibrated after med. Of course. Uh, um, and talk maybe talk a little about AD, ADHD, or maybe we can have Tracy on as a guest and have, and we can talk to him about it. You know. Yeah, it'd be interesting too. Yeah, he had some interesting experiences like uh. I remember he was interviewing for a principal's job at one particular school when he was first becoming a principal, and um, they had a nurse on staff at this high school whose sole job, four hours a day, was to dispense ADHD medications. Oh, <laughs> so he's got some interesting perspectives. Oh, for that'd sure. be great to have. And yeah. uh, and for your books, I always I'm always finding the way people can support the herbalist. So uh, if you go through Aviva Ram and look at dot com and Go to the book section. You'll see the books listed. You can click through there, and not only will you, you know, it's an extra way, extra way to support the herbalist, as I always try to do here. So, a um, little tip there if anyone wants to go get some of Aviva's books. And um, Aviva, Ram, thank you so much for of spending course. time with us today. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on your show. Well, can't wait to have you back. All right, bye-bye. Bye, John. Herb Mentor Radio on HerbMentor.com is a production of LearningHerbs.com. Visit LearningHerbs.com for free herbal lessons including Herb Mentor News, Home Remedy Secrets, and Supermarket Herbalism. You'll also find the Herbal Medicine Making Kit and our board game Wildcraft. Herb Mentor Radio. Copyright LearningHerbs.com. All rights reserved. Thanks so much for listening.